Hi, this is Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group. Have you ever wondered how you could be like one of the guests I speak with on Market Edge, representing some of the most influential brands in the Fortune 1000? It's all about what you know. One way you can be in the know is by downloading the webmasterradio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Here you can listen to every episode of Market Edge, plus sample their large library of radio programs that are sure to expand your knowledge. Download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app today, now available in the iTunes Store or in Google Play Store, and get your marketing edge. Business is changing. And new marketing avenues are opening up every day. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show that brings you the innovators and trendsetters taking us to a new age of marketing, media, and social business strategy. Welcome to Market Edge with Glenn Engler. Get ready to hear perspectives on social media and digital marketing that will help you gain insight into the unique opportunities and challenges facing marketers and thought leaders today. Now, now, please welcome your host, a Fortune 500 industry figure in the marketing and communications world for more than 25 years, and Chief Executive Officer of Digital Influence Group, the host of Market Edge, Glenn Engler. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group, a full-service digital marketing agency that helps companies unlock the social potential of their brands and amplify its impact to drive business results. Today, I'll be talking about the impact of big data and data sharing with Jeff Jonas, an IBM fellow and chief scientist of the IBM Entity Analytics Group. The IBM Entity Analytics Group was formed based on technologies developed by Systems Research Development, founded by Jonas in 1984 and acquired by IBM in January of 2005. Jeff designs next-generation technology that helps organizations better leverage their enterprise-wide information assets with particularly interesting uh, particular interest in real-time sense-making, these innovative systems fundamentally improve enterprise intelligence, which makes organizations smarter, more efficient, and highly competitive. Jonas's work has received wide media attention from the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Fortune Magazine, MSNBC, and National Public Radio, among other media outlets. A highly sought-after speaker, Jonas travels the globe discussing innovation, national security, and privacy with government leaders, industry executives, leading global think tanks, privacy advocacy groups, and policy research organizations. Jonas periodically testifies on privacy and counterterrorism in such venues as the Department of Homeland Security's Data Privacy and Integrity Advisory Committee and other federally convened commissions. You can connect with Jeff on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Jeff Jonas or on his blog at www.jeffjonas.typepad.com. It's an honor to have you on Market Edge, Jeff. Welcome. Hi there. So for the listeners who may not be familiar with the IBM Entity Analytics Group, can you give a quick overview of the group's key focus areas and how it functions within the IBM organization? So the uh, reason why IBM got interested in buying my company, SRD, was for this one particular technology that I created for the gaming industry. It was known at the time as NORA, or Non-Obvious Relationship Awareness. And, you know, if a casino can lose a quarter of a million dollars in 15 minutes, what is the good of a batch job that runs at the end of the day? That technology, um, the way it, sorry, excuse me. Okay, do you want me to back up or how do you want me to fix that now? Sorry. Pause, wait five seconds and then go back to wherever you want and they'll, uh, they'll splice it back in. Uh, I forget where in this, in this little thread. I, uh, <laughs> 
Where was I in my little thread? Uh, you started uh, IBM wanted to buy for Nora. Yeah, okay. So this Nora technology, non-obvious relationship awareness, was uh, used by casinos. Uh, they're trying to figure out where to focus their finite attention. And, you know, if they can lose a quarter of a million dollars in 15 minutes waiting for the end of the day or the end of the week to a batch job just isn't good enough. So they were trying to fuse data from many different sources. And when you're trying to fuse data, in their case about customers, you're trying to figure out if it's about the same person or not. Do you have five facts about five different people? Or is it one fact? Um, mm. is, oh, my God, I got it backwards. Sorry, man. <laughs> so one of the challenges that a casino has is, is it five uh, different facts being one fact about five different people, or is it really one person with five facts? And if you get that wrong, you can't make a high-quality prediction. Yeah. So entity analytics is this notion that you're trying to figure out when entities are the same and when they're related. It turns out if you can't count, you can't predict. <laughs> so how does, given all of the things that IBM does, how does your group interact with the software group with other parts of, of IBM? So we, we live in the information management group, and our, the, the NOR technology is now sold as a, as a standalone product called Identity Insight, or yes. your Identity Insight. It also, this, these kinds of techniques are being um, embedded in other technologies inside of IBM. Most recently, it's been released as a feature inside of our data mining product called SPSS Modeler. It has this new feature in version 15 called Entity Analytics, and it allows organizations to take these diverse data sets, weave them together, and figure out when things that were described differently, you know, Bill versus um, uh, William, are really actually the same entity. Got it. So having um, heard you speak and see how involved you are in so many different things, um, file under inquiring minds want to know, what's the, what's the day in the life of Jeff Jonas and your roles as chief scientist and, and IBM fellow? Well, for starters, I'll just tell you I'm having so much darn fun. I, you know, no one thought I was going to stay. <laughs> I didn't need to, and they put you on a two-year retention agreement as the founder of a company, or at least in my acquisition case, and people wondered if I'd even stay for the two years. So it's been almost eight, and I just love my job. What happened is about, um, I'm guessing it's about four years ago now, another executive came to me and said, you know, if you had a big idea, we'd fund it. And I'm thinking to myself, I love inventing stuff. I've built about 100 different things in my life, and I started thinking, wow, if I could build one more thing, what would it be? So I pitched that to my boss at the time who was running a $3 billion book of, of IBM uh, revenue. And I said, hey, how about I build you this? And the answer was, you'd build that for us. My VC friends are like, why didn't you quit and build it for us? <laughs> <laughs> and my answer is, hey, I'm not trying to make a pile of money right now. I'm trying to actually be useful. <laughs> and, you know, something cool about working for IBM is if you create something that's really useful, it may end up in the hands and improving the lives of tens of millions of people. Right. Right? If you're a small startup, maybe you can improve uh, things for, you know, 10,000 people. Right. Really interesting. So, in effect, you've got a phenomenal playground to play with and some, some uh, eager supporters around you. Um, you. When I heard you speak, and earlier this year, you talked about data analytics, and you likened it to... Um, several experiments around solving a puzzle. Could you say a little bit more about that? I found it intriguing. You know, think about it like this. If I handed you a puzzle piece and it only had flames on it, how would you know whether it was good news or bad news? Yeah. The problem is it lacks context. You, 
And when I say context, by the way, I mean something very specific. I mean better understanding something by taking into account the things around it. So when you see the word bat in a sentence, you look at the words around it to know what kind of bat it is. Mm-hmm. So this puzzle notion and how people put puzzles together turns out to be so similar to the way my algorithms work. I actually watch and do experiments with people putting puzzles together to inspire me on my algorithms. You see, if I handed you a puzzle piece with flames on it and you first took it to the puzzle to determine that it was in a fireplace near a glass of wine, you're going to get a very different understanding than if you take that puzzle piece with flames on it to the puzzle and realize it's on the roof of your house. <laughs> yeah, and I like A better than B. <laughs> so the class of technologies that I work on, this entity analytics class and the new invention I've been working on called G2 now for the last few years, is about how to do context accumulation as fast as the, as the puzzle pieces fly in. So big data is a phrase that's used a lot. Um, in fact, as someone, uh, someone joked, every company out there does big data because no one's going to say they do small data. Um, you've been involved in this area, uh, certainly the idea of data mining, data analysis for for years, how do you? How have you seen this concept of big data um, transform, mature over time, and impact business decision making for companies? Well, I'll tell you for starters, I think the term is being overused these days. It like, seems like everybody and their brother wants to tag the name big data on about everything. Yep. Did you not? I was in a conversation with somebody the other day with a conference organizer, and they go, "Yeah, I'd really like to get a grip on the, you know what people are coming every year versus why some people aren't." And, Another one of my friends in the big data community said, you need big data. And I said, <laughs> I said, um, actually, I think it probably just fits in a spreadsheet, man. You don't need big data. And then I had a little bit of an, uh, of an argument uh, or debate. Uh, and then the, the conference organizer said, no, literally, it fits in a spreadsheet on a single tab. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I guess the first thing would just be what does big data mean? And I'll tell you, there's, you know, di- different people are using it with different definitions, and I'm not sure that any one definition is wrong, but the definition that I am most attracted to is something very magical happens when you get enough data together. Mm. And it's something you wouldn't see if you had less data. And I, I saw this the first time in 2006 where I had a system that, as I said, it's of billions and billions of records. It was becoming more accurate and it was getting faster to ingest with more data. And that's counterintuitive to most folks. And the way to explain this back to the puzzle process about putting a puzzle together at home is, why when you put a puzzle together at home, how come the last few pieces are as easy as the first few? You have more data in front of you than ever before. Mm. So to me, you know, that notion of big data is, uh, is, is my favorite one. But I think, you know, some people, have come, as I've been thinking about this, I think some organizations now what big data is meaning to them is now that there's more diverse data, like social media, even though a Twitter pipe is huge, you don't need all of it. Yep. So just taking the pieces out of the, out of a Twitter feed that is particular to your brand, because that's the big data is the whole universe of Twitter. But if you pull out just the stuff about your brand and then you mix it with other data in your enterprise, and I think it helps you improve the quality of the predictions that you can make. Uh, your customers about the yep. That's really interesting, and I I love the puzzle analogy. I think that um, that obviously resonates so incredibly well. IBM's overarching brand platform of Smarter Planet, absolutely brilliant, clearly successful, um, and uh, and it and it resonates. The concept of big data clearly fits 
within that or as a enabling part of that. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the umbrella platform of Smarter Planet coming to life in some of your initiatives? Well, I'll give you an example. There's a, a, a project that we've done with the Alameda County Social Services. And they're, uh, that's located right across the bay there from San Francisco. And their goal was to uh, improve the speed with which they could deliver services to people that need them. It was taking something in the order of 90 days to give people the services they need. Needed. They wanted to be able to reduce that to basically same day. Normally, when you open up a pipe like that and deliver more services faster, you have an, an equal uptick in people maybe abusing the process and getting money when they weren't as do it. Mm. Well, these processes where your context accumulating, you're taking data across diverse sources and weaving it together for a higher quality prediction, it gives you lower false positives and lower false negatives. That means the predictions are better. So what that translated to was uh, this, the Alameda County Social Services started delivering services to people faster and reduced fraud at the same time so fast that they paid for the whole system in a couple of months and are saving something in the order of $24 million a year. So that would be an example of doing a better job harnessing, you know, the available data to make a higher quality business decision. Yep. And that would fit in Smarter Planet. Completely. And the whole extension with Smarter Cities and, and um, uh, can you just talk a little bit about the idea of a Smarter City and traffic and um, the, that application as well? Because I think that becomes incredibly local for listeners. Well, I haven't personally worked on any of the smarter traffic stuff. The smarter city stuff I've been has been in the area of, you know, public safety yep. and, um, uh, like, social services. So similarly helping with crime and other, um, other behavior-based um, systems and, and, um, and information. Yeah, so I only know tangentially about some of the work that we've been doing more broadly in the area of, of traffic. Uh-huh. Okay. Because I just haven't worked on that personally. I'm, I'm usually pretty careful about sticking to things I know inside and out. Yeah, completely. So going back to one of the things you mentioned around the, the casinos, and I think for the, the listeners, Je- um, Jeff, referencing the casino and the whole uh, protecting itself from professional card count teams, certainly highlighted in, in um, books like the uh, Bringing Down the House and the whole MIT team. Um, your SRD team creating those technologies, not only was it the professional card count team, but then also providing America's national security forces with the unique analysis of the connections around the 9-11 terrorists. Um, what benefits are you seeing around data sharing in the industry, both from a business side, business to business, and a business to consumer standpoint? How are you, how are you seeing that from within the organization? You know what? I have a very related uh, blog post. I don't blog very often, as you might know, but I did a, a very related post to this recently called Fantasy Analytics. Uh, let me just tell you what that is real quick, because it's totally related to information sharing. Mm-hmm. So I want you to imagine this. I sat down with an organization that wanted some assistance, and and you know I have to alter some facts here because I can't uh, you know reveal the kind of organization this was. But they're they're trying to move stuff around. Think about supply chains. And they were saying to me, you know, we want to find things that go boom. And I'm like, oh, that's excellent. Well, what do you have? And they're like, well, we've got who sent it, and we got who, who's going to get it. We got who's, you know, uh, driving it on the ship. Mm-hmm. And 
And I'm like, this is good, that is great. And I said, what else do you have? And they go, we have the manifest where people declare what's in it. And I go, excellent, what else do you have? And they go, that's it. And I just look at them and go, are you kidding me? You will never find something that goes boom because no one writes bomb on manifest. (laughs) The The idea of a lot of organizations have these ideas about what can be computable. And then when you see what their observation space is, their data, it's not even a sentient being could use that set of data to make that computation. So what many organizations need to do if they want to achieve the analytic capability that they're after is they have to widen their observation space. And one way to do that is, is collaboration with partners and sharing. And some areas where I think that's going to create the biggest difference then is going to be things in like um, cybercrime. Mm. Yes, and things like sharing, sharing malware methods and malware signatures. I think financial fraud is another case where yep. certain kinds of methods and you know the exchange of of um, blacklists for people that have been defrauding um, financial institutions is another case where sharing will be really valuable to consumers. I, by the way, get my identity stolen every single year. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, so, so you have a, uh, a front row seat for that entire initiative, for sure. Yeah, the big problem is when they do it for eight months and no one noticed. Yeah. That's my problem. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a very short commercial break. Please stand by, and I'll be right back with Jeff Jonas and more of the conversation. Market Edge will return in just a moment. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king. Oh yeah, my day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. 
WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24-7. We're back with more Market Edge, bringing you the best and brightest voices in digital marketing, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Once again, here's Glenn Engler. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Glenn Engler, and I'm here today with Jeff Jonas, an IBM fellow and the chief scientist of the IBM Entity Analytics Group, talking about the impact of big data and data sharing. So we were just talking about um, data sharing and um, areas where you thought there's huge relevance around cybercrime, malware, and fraud. One of the things that obviously comes out of security and data sharing is the topic of privacy. Can you talk a little bit about the anonymous resolution and other measures being taken for safeguard privacy, given some of the task forces that you're a part of? So, in about, uh, I think it was uh, two, right around 2003, I, as a, I was a single parent at the time with three kids. I was getting ready to take them on a, a cruise out of Port Canaveral, and I remember seeing a a newspaper story that says there's a terrorist threat with scuba divers to the cruise lines. And I remember thinking, this isn't going to be good. The kinds of technologies that I build help organizations share data that want to share data and can. But I, I had envisioned that the government probably doesn't send its, you know, secret list of people they're trying to keep an eye out for. They can't send their secret list around the cruise lines. And the cruise lines, I suspect, are not sending everybody that makes reservations to go on the cruise all to the government. Right. I didn't anticipate that. So I was thinking to myself, since I was taking my kids on this cruise, I'm thinking, we're all going to die. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm going, well, how would you fix that? And it just kind of came to me suddenly, and it's really rather pretty simple. Um, I imagined uh, an, a government entity with a watch list grinding its data up into a form that is not human readable and not reversible. Mm-hmm. It just looks like mumbo jumbo. And I imagined a cruise line doing that as well, and then only bringing the two piles of anonymized data together just to see if there's any matches. If there's no matches, no one reveals anything to any parties. But if there's a match, it wouldn't know the name or address. Mm. It would just say the government's watch list record 5002 relates to the uh, cruise line reservation number, you know, whatever, 123. This notion of anonymizing data this way and putting it into an irreversible form is kind of like if you have a piece. It's like it's like uh, making a sausage from a, a pig. If I give you the sausage and the grinder, you can't go backwards and make a pig. True. So, <laughs> one way function. It's a one way function. Yeah. So there's these one way hashes out there that allow you to do this, change the data into a form that's not reversible. Yep. So that technique now. Uh, after I then bought my company, we turned it into a product called Anonymous Resolution, and it's being used in some uh, interesting ways. And one of my favorites is there's a country that's using it to bring data together from many different governmental departments about children because they're trying to deliver better services to children. And at the same time, they're trying to reduce the risk of unintended disclosure where you've inadvertently leaked information about the children. Interesting. Really interesting, this concept of the the A and the B, and I can honestly say this is the first conversation around data and privacy and um, and uh, information sharing that has included both a pig and a grinder analogy, so um, <laughs> very helpful. 
Um, so one of the, one of the things that, at least um, from our point of view as marketers and what I've seen out there as big data, typically focuses on how, for brands, how valuable the customer data is. On the flip side, I guess there's a question about how you see in the coming years consumers are taking greater control of their own data um, in a value exchange with brands, and you know what are their ways of improving their behavior, the brand's behavior, or saving them their money? How do you think about that um, dynamic shifting to consumers? You know, I've been hearing about this possible change in the trend where consumers take more control over their own data, but I've got to tell you, I just haven't seen it get any traction in any meaningful way yet. And when I think about maybe why, I think what's happening is organizations are creating irresistible services that cause the consumers to sign up without much care. Mm-hmm. I mean, for your listeners, I mean, imagine all the people using the free email out there, and then you, if you ask the question, how many of you are using this uh, benevolent free email service and did you read the terms of use? Right. And the terms of use probably say that data is ours, even if you quit and take your ball and leave. Right, completely. Your data. How can that be? So if the consumer doesn't isn't willing to take that much care, and the services that they're getting are irresistible and really easy to use, I'm not sure we're going to see that trend change. It's a really interesting point. I long ago in the in the 1990s doing database marketing and, and direct marketing, there was always this dialogue about privacy and, and, uh, and junk mail. And, of course, the wonderful filter is I'm a big sports junkie, and if ESPN sends me something, I will happily open it um, because it's relevant to me, and it's probably junk mail to someone else. But it's that whole dynamic that I love the word irresistible. Uh, it's absolutely right. People will sign up for ESPN or give the information to Starbucks or, uh, um, as you said, the free email um, if it's relevant and, uh, and a powerful value proposition. You know, and from the privacy point of view, if you tell consumer, if you give consumers a, a, a chance to opt in and then you tell them what you're going to collect and how you're going to use it and then you do what you say, there's, you know, I mean, that's just, that's a, a that's a good way to do it and B, you're not going to, there's not going to be a lot of friction around that and as long as it's irresistible, I just think people are going to sign up in, in droves. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um, my son is a engineering um, student, biomedical engineering, and Watson put IBM on the map to him very differently uh, as a 22-year-old. What's your Watson means so much. What's your take as a clearly a chief scientist leader within IBM? What does Watson mean for you um, as part of that organization? So after acquisition, I was had a chance to visit the IBM's research labs around the world were spending $6 billion a year in R&D. And I remember going and getting a briefing on Watson. This is about a year and a half, maybe two years before it appeared on Jeopardy. And I remember talking to the, the uh, Dave Ferrucci, who, was the, mm-hmm. who led that program. And what really struck me about it is that instead of picking an algorithm to approach a problem, they picked suites of algorithms that were very different methods and were competing with each other. And as much as the, as the, algor- as, as the coordinating process was looking for things that agree, it would look for things that disagree. And I think that that's a really important thing that we're going to see more and more in systems, 
systems that support dissent and uncertainty, things that are looking for disagreement. Hmm. And I think it's going to make systems smarter. I'm seeing that myself in the work that I'm doing around my G2 project is that natural variability and errors in the data actually become your friend at scale. And, and, you know, a lot of people go, did you just say bad data is good? And my answer is actually, yeah. And my, uh, uh, one way to make that uh, familiar to everybody is when you search Google and it says, did you mean this? It's not looking in a dictionary. It's remembering everybody's errors. Mm. If it didn't remember the errors, it wouldn't be so smart. And so Watson, when I saw that, it just, I just went, wow, that is going to be really interesting. I believe that that was going to be a route on which we would see some material gains in how machines figure out what it means in the data and how we interface humans to machines. And then, in fact, that turned out. It was so exciting for me. It's, it's, really, it's really breakthrough work. It's, it's really exciting what it means, and it's been fascinating to see it resonate with um, all aspects of the, the science community and marketing and um, employment base, and um, there's just huge pride and excitement around that, certainly starting out in um, healthcare and financial services, but um, very, very exciting. Um, all right, just before I let you go, as we bump up at the end of time, I like to do something at the end um, with my guests, which is a really quick first thing that pops out. I, I toss out a, uh, um, a, a technology or a, um, a product or something uh, and just get a very quick reaction from you given your vantage point. Uh, no right or wrong answer, but you ready? 42. Okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Okay, so um, first one is daily deals, like Groupon or Living Social. When the quality of the prediction of what they put before you is so darn good that you actually think it's um, uh, doing you a favor, yeah, it's going to be very powerful. Yep, 100% agree, because we're not there yet. Um, what about the Instagram and Pinterest phenomenon? What is Pinterest? <laughs> Pinterest is a the pinning bulletin board of pictures and the whole idea of, of visual cues, if you will, and images. I think I when I think of these sites that have the images, I think of those as, for example, just the yellow puzzle pieces. And then when I think of the more your mm. social graph and your friends, I think of that as the blue puzzle pieces. And then when I think about your transactional data about your life and where you're spending your money and what ads you clicked on and actually bought a service, might be the you know the light green puzzle pieces. And really, it's when you can weave those different channels together is when we're going to see really high quality predictions. Last one, mobile, the, the concept of mobile commerce. Where things are when and how they move and where you are specifically and how you move is when you harness that kind of data, I think of it as analytic superfood, it's going to really improve the quality of what ads you get. And when somebody's driving by a, a popular sandwich shop and it recommends that they maybe swing by for lunch, really smart algorithms will know that this person is driving by actually driving yeah. a bus for the city on a route, and he's definitely not going to get out, and you're going to waste his time if you try to pitch him on an ad, even though he drives by every day. Right, right. So, you know, spatial data will help reveal that level of understanding. Let's just hope that everybody gets to opt in for that. Right, right. It could get very messy otherwise. All right, and I noticed on your blog you are a, uh, an avid triathlete or have been anything in the, in the, in the near future. I've got 
28 Ironman triathlons under my belt. I just had my fastest race in Florida this year at 11 hours and 50 minutes. I'm not super competitive, but I am. You know, I beat my best time by 30 minutes, and I've got a whole bunch slated for next year. And if I have my way, I'm gonna. I hopefully will be the fourth human being to be able to go to the Ironman website and look at the list and say I've done them all. What that is now. That is absolutely ridiculous and beyond impressive. Um, okay, I wanted to thank you, Jeff, for being my guest today. And thanks to everyone in the audience for listening to today's conversation. If you have any questions or would like to talk further about the topic of today's show, feel free to connect with me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Glenn Angler or on my blog at www.glennangler.com. Visit www.webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern Time on Tuesdays to tune into episodes of Market Edge. For Market Edge, this is Glenn Engler. Until next time, I'm out. This has been a presentation of webmasterradio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.